talked to a few people this morning who, who um, just maybe feel like in a little bit of a funk. So if that's you this morning, uh, I mean, every the worship set, what Adam was praying over us, just let that sit in you this morning. Um, you know, as we gather together as a church, as the body of Christ, as the household of God, as a family of God, uh, these are all things, all metaphors used for the church in the Bible. Um, what should happen here is you should be uplifted. Like, I don't know what you brought in this morning. I don't know how your week was. I don't know what side of the bed you woke up on this morning. I don't know what text messages you received this morning. I don't know what feelings you have in your heart right now. But try to put those aside for the next hour and just try to see Jesus. And so whatever, whatever you're feeling today, if, if there's some of that, like, just sh- shake it off. Like, yeah, shake it off. <laughs> I know you like that song. Um, like, take a deep breath and just breathe it out for, for a minute and just forget about it for now. Um, I actually woke up in a little bit of funk this morning. I don't know what it was. Um, but just during the worship set, I just felt like I needed to breathe that out. So, um, if you need to do that, do that. If you need to wave it off, do that too. So, all right. Okay. So back in 2006, Missy and I were in Thailand. And for those of you guys who don't know, I'm half Thai. So I spent a lot of time in Thailand growing up. And um, we were there in 2006, which is, wow, that's 10, that's 10 years ago. That's, that's crazy that that's 10 years ago. Uh, we were in Chiang Mai. Anyone been in Chiang Mai before? Yeah, wow. Wow, a lot more people than I thought. So Chiang Mai is this beautiful, um, million-person city in, in the mountains of Thailand. It's not as hot as southern Thailand, so it's not as hot as this. <laughs> it's a little cooler because it's, it's still hot. It's Thailand. Um, but it's, it's a little cooler. Um, and Thailand, it's like when you go to Europe, you visit all these cathedrals, right? You go to Notre Dame, you go to uh, St. Peter's, you go to St. Paul's in London. Like, there's all these cathedrals. Um, in Thailand, you visit Wats, their, their temples, their Buddhist temples. And they're all gold. They're all, like, inlaid with gold. So um, you visit these. So we went to one uh, in, in Chiang Mai, and they had this thing there called Monk Chat. And you could go, and you could just talk to monks. There's tables set up, and you just walk in. It's, it's almost like speed dating. I want to ask you guys to raise your hand to see who's done speed dating, but it's almost like speed dating. You, get, you walk into a table, and you have a conversation. If it goes well, you can stay there longer. Um, but then, or you could switch to someone else. <laughs> and so we went in, and uh, the monk that I sat down with, his uh, English name is, was Jerry. He chose Jerry for his English name, which is actually a really good one. I'd met a couple other people that chose things like shampoo, and I met a guy named Golf. Um, I'm like, you know, that's... Never mind. <laughs> uh, so this guy, he chose Jerry. And uh, we're talking... Uh, he, oh, I just started asking him about, about Buddhism. And I'm like, you know, and I had... Uh, I had studied it, um, actually taught world religions um, in a university for a while. Um, and so I had just asked him, asked him about it. There's so much you can learn from a book. 
um, but then when you see it live, lived out in real life. So I was asking him about his practices and his, uh, just, just how his religion worked and he was sharing and, <clears throat> um, talked about nirvana and how they're just trying to empty themselves and, and, you know, all, all these things. And, um, and then he asked me about my faith. He's like, well, what, what kind of faith do you have? And this was before, uh, this was before I was a pastor or anything like that. Um, and I, so I started telling him about Christ and, and just the differences between what he's saying and what, what I'm saying. And he picked up on it right away. He said, wait a second. So my religion is telling me I got to empty myself of everything to the point where I need to attain nirvana. And nirvana is this, is this state of non-existence. So it's, it's nothingness. So in order to attain nirvana, it, it's absolute nothingness. And so I had asked him, so do you even know when you attain nirvana if you don't exist? <laughs> and he was like, ah, I never thought about that. We just know that that is the, the best state we can be in. I said, you know, my faith actually teaches me the best state we can be in is, is with Jesus. And so in Christianity, this is similar to Buddhism because there is this, this emptying factor. But it doesn't stop there. We actually fill ourselves with something else, something good and something pure and, and, and better than who we are. Because that's the thing. They're, they're trying to get all of this out because they, they recognize like suffering and, and all these things aren't what it's supposed to be. But the problem is he wasn't filling himself with Christ. He wasn't filling himself with something else that, that gave him a sense of purpose. It was all to empty to go to non-existence. And I asked him this question. I said, so don't you think it'd be better to exist with Christ in eternity than to not exist at all. And he didn't hesitate. He said, absolutely. But I don't know what to do. I don't know how I go from, he's, a, he's like low 20s, a monk. He's like, I don't know how I go from this to that. How do I take my culture and my, all, all of this that I've learned all my life and now go into that? So I wish I could tell you he like knelt down right there and said, I want Jesus. Um, but it was so much for him to, to process. Um, maybe, he's, maybe he's done it already, but that was like, there's some other stuff happened afterwards, but that was the, the crux of our talk. What hit me was he was searching for something to have confidence in. And his confidence was coming from his practices of emptying himself. And it was all based on who he was and what he was doing. The Christian faith is different from that. You know, Paul talks about the passage we just read, that we don't place our confidence in those things. We place it in Christ. And now let's just, let's just be, uh, I'm going to put this out there right now. Um, I would say all of you guys in here, all of us, I'm not excluding myself, have confidence issues, right? You don't have to nod your head, but 
I know you're agreeing with me in your mind and your heart. We all have confidence. Some of you guys are overconfident. You're too confident. Um, most of us are not confident in who God's made us. Uh, we lack confidence in certain areas. Um, but we all have issues one way or another with, with confidence. And our culture, our city, our society tells us you need to find confidence in yourself. It's self-confidence. You just need to have more self-confidence. You know, look at you. You're, you're really intelligent. Look at you. You're uh, beautiful. Look at you. Um, you know, you have this many degrees. And you need to have more confidence in those things. But that's our culture. What Paul's saying is those things I count as loss. He later on says they're rubbish. Because my confidence isn't in me, it's in Christ. And so I want you guys to remember this statement as we go through the passage this morning. The result of self-confidence is actually emptiness. This is what we were just talking about. But the reward of Christ's confidence is wholeness or fullness. We're all searching to be made whole, right? Uh, if you haven't gone to this point in your life yet, there will be a point in your life where you feel like, gosh, I'm missing something. What am I, what am I missing? We all, I can't remember what theologian says this, but he says we all have this God-sized or God-shaped void in our hearts that only God can fill. Okay? Some of you guys who are followers of Jesus have found and filled that hole with Christ Jesus, but you still feel like I'm missing something. You still feel like my job, my family, my life situation, my circumstances, I'm, I'm missing something. And, uh, and you're, you haven't experienced this wholeness yet. So don't fret. You do find it in Jesus. But as we go through this passage, you'll see that there's other, there's other things that we can do to, um, to experience the fullness of Christ. Because Jesus has come to give you a whole life, a life of fullness. He says, I've come to give you life that is abundant. Now, don't, don't take that and run with prosperity gospel. I'm not saying he's come to make you rich, he's come to make you healthy. That's not a life of abundance. Remember, when Jesus uses this word, it is actually a different quality of life, not a quantity of life. He says, I'm here to give you a different quality of living, a different quality of life, and it's all perspective-based, okay? Um, so let's, let's hit the passage this morning. This is, again, Philippians 3. We're just going to walk through it um, verse by verse. He says, Finally, brothers, finally or furthermore, uh, my brothers, because uh, this is like midway through the book, so furthermore, my brothers and sisters, uh, rejoice in the Lord. He's repeated this phrase multiple times through the book, rejoice. He's, he's continually pointing us back to joy, and he says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me. And actually, it's safe for you. It brings you safety. And he's like, I don't mind it. It's, it's no trouble for me. Because um, Paul's, he's already told them this. So, and he's telling them it again. He says, rejoice. And he's about to tell them something else in the following verses. But before we get into that, I was um, <clears throat> in like... 
I don't know, this was years ago, 15 years ago. Both Missy and I have marketing degrees from in our undergrad. Um, my dream was to be like this uh, very successful advertising executive. Um, we had it all planned out and from business school on, like we were going to go to this school next, get our degrees. I was going to get a terminal degree in advertising and we we're going to uh, like work in an ad agency, eventually open an ad agency. This was all in, in my mind, like, and we we're going to be super successful. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, that was our life. I, I can't imagine that being my life now. I'm glad it's, I'm glad it's, it's not actually, I don't know if I would survive and thrive in that environment. Um, but, uh, that was, that was once our dream. And, uh, in marketing, there's what's called the rule of seven. So if you guys are familiar with marketing or have a degree or anything in marketing, advertising, you you should know this rule. If you don't know this rule, then you got a horrible marketing education. It's called the rule of seven. And all it is, is it says that on average, you're exposed, or you need to expose, depending on which side you're coming from, uh, to something seven times before you actually buy into it. So every marketer knows I have to expose someone to this product or pitch or, or idea seven times before someone actually buys into it. Okay? Um, this is, this is what Paul's hitting on. And I realized that after my degree, I realized, because I never thought I'd use marketing again until, or that degree, until I got into ministry <laughs> and realized that marketing isn't actually about how to make the most money. It's not a study in, in that. It's actually a study in, in people and how people process things. And so this is what Paul's saying. He's like, you know what? I've got to repeat things over to you guys again and again and again. But that's okay. It's no trouble for me. I'm going to keep on doing it. And it's actually safe for you. It, it provides security for you in your faith. It grounds you in your faith. So... I'm going to repeat some things to you guys that some of you guys have heard, some of you guys haven't. These are things that we say all the time at Trinity Life Church. So if you've been with Trinity Life for um, an extended period of time, you should know all these things because sometimes I feel like a broken record. I just, Daniel and I repeat these things over and over and over, but I'm going to do it again. So uh, let's just hit the first one. This is hear, trust, obey. This is Trinity Life's definition of discipleship. And I, I know what you guys, uh, this is, some of you guys, and you're, you're asking, like, in my family situation, in my work situation, in, uh, you know, I go into an environment every day that is hostile to the gospel. Like, how am I supposed to live out my faith? My family hates that I'm a Christian. Like, how am I supposed to live out my faith in there? It all really boils down to this, your own discipleship. I, from up here, I can't give you specifics on your, on your situation and, and tell you what you should do at work, tell you what you should do in your family. If we meet one-on-one, -on -one, I may be able to do that, but you need the foundation. You need to grow in Christ, and he's going to teach you how to do that. So our definition of discipleship at Trinity Life Church is simply this. It's learning to recognize the voice of God. It's not a program. 
It's not take our six-week course and you'll learn how to be a disciple of Christ. It's just living with Jesus, learning how to recognize God's voice. This is straight out of John 10. Uh, this is Jesus talking, and he says, My sheep know my voice, they hear my voice, they follow my voice, they obey my voice, uh, and we are his sheep. And so as we grow with Jesus, we'll recognize his voice more readily. Okay, um, And hear, trust, and obey is what we're talking about there. We hear God's voice, we trust it enough to actually take a step of faith in obeying it. Okay? That's, it's as simple as that. So when I ask you about discipleship, you should say, well, it's hear, trust, obey. Am I hearing God's voice? You should ask your, that question to you, okay, to yourself. Am I hearing God's voice? When I, when I read this book, do I actually hear God speaking to me out of it? When, I, when someone talks to me, um, do I actually hear God speaking through them into my life? Now, when I'm in prayer, do I actually hear God speaking to me in prayer? Those, those things. Okay, next thing is um, up, in, and out. And so up, in, out is how we, how we have structured our small groups for the last couple of years. It's up is emphasizing our relationship with the Father, with God. Uh, in is in the community. And so discipleship happens through all of these, these avenues. So, you know, our relationship with God, our relationship with others. And then out is our relationship with our community and our city living on mission. Because if it stops at up, then that's not a full relationship. And these aren't really a progression. They're kind of all linked together. And so up is just one component that if that relationship is actually a true relationship, it has to flow out into in. You were made to live corporately like this in and among other believers. If you're not in community, then that's not what Jesus wants for you. He wants you to live like this. And I don't mean on Sunday morning. I actually mean with a community of believers throughout the entire week. Okay, That starts here in this church. So if Trinity Life is your church, it starts here. It doesn't end here. It goes into a small group. It goes into living out on mission in our city, which is the out component. And so you, you can't just also be in community and, and share your feelings with other people and, your, and confess your sin and have them carry your burdens. You actually have to take that because that transforms you somehow and then it pushes you out into this world. Okay, Because the Christian faith is... It's about two things. It's about proclamation and it's about reclamation. Okay? That's really good, right? Remember that. Proclamation and reclamation. So um, we have to speak out the truth. We have to speak it out. But that's not enough. We actually have to live it out. And that's reclamation. It's, it's taking the world around us and making it better than it was. That's what Christians do. And that's the faith. So if, you're, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus and you're not making the world around you better, then you're actually not living out your faith. If this is the crux of your faith, just sitting here in a seat listening to some random guy talk for 30 minutes and singing some songs and then going out, like that's not the life that Jesus has called us to live. It's all about reclaiming 
And reclamation, if you think about reclamation projects, it's taking something that's dilapidated um, uh, and restoring it to its former glory, right? Its former beauty. That's what we get to do. The paradigm in the scriptures is creation. God creates something beautiful and holy and pure, and then the fall happens. Sin enters in and corrupts and, and, and just mars all of creation, including us. And then redemption is Jesus in this story, this beautiful story of, of Jesus. And, and then we have restoration, which is this reclamation project that we are currently living in and are a part of. So the problem is, for most of us as, as Christians, we have the gospel not with those four elements, but it's a truncated version with fall and redemption. You're a sinner. You need Jesus. Accept Jesus. You got Jesus. Now you're going to heaven. Boom, it's done. That's not the gospel. That's a piece of the gospel. The gospel includes creation on this end and restoration on this end. And we as the church are a part of living that out. We get to live that out. And that's the, that's the out component, up and out. That was complete. I didn't plan to go on all that. But um, that leads into the next thing. And this is our, our vision statement, mission statement, purpose statement, whatever you want to call it. If you're a business guy, you can call that whatever you want. Um, people have different ideas on what vision, mission, purpose are. Uh, so this is just our statement. I'll call it that. <laughs> discovering, this is what we want to do in our city and in the world. We want to help you discover your identity in Christ and your destiny in Christ in order to influence our city and the world. Okay? So this is, this is key here. This is a particular order. You can't discover your destiny in Christ before you discover your identity in Christ. You have to discover that identity first, that you are in Jesus, that you are approved, that you're accepted, that he loves you, and then you live out of that when you discover your destiny in Christ. And a lot of times we think, oh, my purpose is different from Adam's purpose, is different from Al's purpose, is different from Missy's purpose. Um, but actually, our destiny in Christ is the same. Your destiny in Christ is the same as my destiny in Christ. That is to live in the way that I just talked about. Now, the way we do that is different. The way you influence our city and the world, that's your particular calling. Okay? So as the church, we all have the same identity in Jesus. We all have the same destiny in Jesus. But then how you influence the city at Ryerson, at uh, um, TD, at CIBC, at... Um, wherever you guys work, <laughs> Chicago, uh, <laughs> um, sorry, there's a guy back there who moved to Chicago and he came back today. Um, so uh, whatever you're doing in Toronto, a teacher, a nurse, like you get to influence our city through, your, through that job that may also be your vocation. I don't know. It may just be a job or it actually may be your calling. Hopefully those line up together. Um, if not, come see me. That's why you probably have some issues. Um, but you get to live out your vocation through whatever you're doing in this city. Okay? 
And, and then, as the church, we get to influence our world through that. And that's why we have a huge global emphasis at Trinity Life. That's why we want to engage Pakistan. That's why we're planting a Pakistani church in Milton. That's why we're, we're doing these things as a church. So that's our definition of discipleship. And we say those things all the time. Uh, I feel like we haven't said them as much from up here in probably the past six months. So if you've come in the past six months, um, remember those things. Hear, trust, obey, up and out. I mean, it's pretty simple. Uh, discovering identity, destiny, influence, city, world. Like, just remember those things and you'll know Like that's our DNA. That's what we want to multiply into our city. So Paul's doing that here. He's repeating these things uh, again to the Philippians. And in verse 2 he says, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Okay, that's kind of weird terminology. So let's put mutilate the flesh. Let's like table that for a second. We'll deal with that in a minute. Um, if you're not familiar with with uh, the scriptures, if that's the first time you've heard it, you're thinking like serial killer or... Uh, I don't know what you're thinking, but we're going to table that for a second. Let's deal with dogs and evildoers. And I'm sorry for you dog lovers out there. Uh, <laughs> don't kill me afterwards. But um, dogs aren't the same in the scriptures as they are in Western culture today. So I love, I love Toronto. One of the reasons I love Toronto is because there's so many different types of dogs here, right? I mean, everybody, everybody prides themselves on the type of the dog, of dog they have. Um, we noticed this right away when we first moved here three years ago. Uh, the girls on, on drives through the city, they would count the dogs. They would just start counting the dogs. And it's become this thing where now we count all kinds of things um, on the way place, to places. But they would count all the dogs, and they noticed, like, big dogs, little dogs. I mean, all different colors, all different... Yeah, kinds. So, uh, but I, I love Toronto that we have all these different kinds of dogs, but um, here in the Bible, dogs aren't man's best friend. They're actually dirty, mangy scavengers that nobody likes. And if you look at uh, many Middle Eastern cultures now. I mean, that that view is still kind of perpetuated a little bit. So dogs are just running everywhere. You go to Southeast Asia, dogs are just running everywhere and nobody likes them. Um, uh, and so there, it's, it's a little different here. Here it's an industry, right? They're, they're our kids. Like, our dogs are our kids. Um, but uh, I would never get a dog, by the way. Yeah, Adam's like grumbling over there because he's um, allergic to everything. So, yeah, I love dogs. So it's not that I love dogs, okay? Don't judge me. But I would never get one. It's, we're sad. It's like having a perpetual two-year-old for the rest of your life. <laughs> you got to take care of it, walk it, and all that stuff. So um, we passed two years old with our girls, so I don't want a, I don't want a dog. Anyways, dogs are, um, like I said, they, in, in biblical times, they would just follow around and scavenge. And so when Paul uses this word here, he's saying there's people out there who are just picking off the people who aren't well-grounded in their faith. They're following them around because this is a whole new faith, right? They're following, they're following whoever around, and they're just picking those people off because we're not well-grounded in our faith yet. 
So that's why Paul's saying, it's no trouble to me to repeat these things over to you again, because you're not well-grounded yet, and the dogs are coming. And he says, look out for three things, evildoers, dogs, and those who mutilate the flesh. And this look out is not like, hey, just when you see a dog, that's it. He's actually saying, this, this word is in the present tense, which means he's saying, look out continually for these dogs. He's like, you always need to be on the lookout for it because they're there to steal your joy. They're there to steal your faith. They're there to uproot you um, and to, to change things. And they distort the faith. They add something to the faith. What the dogs here that he's referring to specifically are adding is um, circumcision, <laughs> uh, which sounds weird, Right? Like, if you've grown up in the church, you're like, oh, yeah, that doesn't, you, you become numb to that word because it's all over the scriptures. If you're, if you didn't grow up in the church, you're like, so picture, picture this. Paul, when, when Paul wrote this letter, this letter would be sent to the, to the church, you know, through a courier, days and days, he sends it to the church, and when it gets there, they would read it aloud to everybody. So, the person reading the letter is, is reading this, right? And he's, he or she is saying, finally, rejoice in the Lord. And you can hear everyone saying, like, getting excited, right? They're like, yeah, rejoice in the Lord. Paul's saying to write the same things to you is no trouble. It's safe for you and is providing them comfort. And then they're saying, look out for the dogs. And everyone's like, yeah, look out for those dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision. And everyone's like, wait, did he just say we're the circumcision? <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> um, that, I, don't, I don't understand. Um, what's actually really cool in the Greek is the person reading this would have said, look out for the, um, I'm blanking right now, look out for the katatame. And then the person reading it would have said, for we are the paratame. And it's this like really cool wordplay where he says, look out for the katatame, but guess what? We're actually the paratame. And that would have brought people excitement. Now, let me explain this to you. <laughs> let me explain this to you a little bit. So, because what, what Paul is getting at here is, is that there's, so the theme of circumscription in the, in the circumcision uh, in the scriptures is, uh, starts out with, it's an external sign of something internal. And so uh, the scriptures introduce it early on and, and, and um, say that all the males in Israel need to be circumcised. And this is a sign to you of my choosing of you as a people. And so what happened over the years, though, was just this just become an, an external sign. Like, hey, I'm, I'm circumcised, or I'm baptized, and it's, that's it. That's all I need. Like, I've, I've done, done my duty, and now I'm a follower of God, and, and that's it. And it, it became distorted, and Jeremiah picks up on it. And uh, Ezekiel picks up on it, these Old Testament prophets, and God tells them to give this message. He says, this circumcision that you're relying on 
You need to stop relying on because it's, it was never about an external sign. It was always about something I was doing to your hearts. He says, remember the whole paradigm, creation, fall, redemption, restoration? When the fall happened, your hearts became hard. Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians as a veil over your heart. A veil is over your heart. Your heart is, is hardened. So you can't see things correctly. You can't feel things correctly. You, you can't see God um, in, in the best way. And so he says, when you come to faith, when you come to Jesus, the circumcision is actually of your hearts. That veil is removed. That hardness is he's, so beautiful. Ezekiel says, God, God speaking, Ezekiel writes, God speaking, I will, I will exchange your heart of stone for a heart of flesh. Okay? I'll change that heart of stone and I'll put in your heart of flesh. And my spirit will dwell inside you. I will come and I will make my home in you, he says. And it's such beautiful imagery and language. And Paul is saying here, that's who we are. Watch out for those who want to mutilate the flesh, who just say, you need to get circumcised, because that's not where your salvation is. It's, he says, actually, we are the circumcision. That isn't. We are the church because the veil has been removed. So a lot of us have different kinds of dogs in our lives. Um, you've had people come to try to steal joy from your faith. You've had people try to tell you that um, Christ isn't the only way, that, that it's Jesus plus this. You've had people say, yeah, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to come to church every Sunday. Or your salvation is you need to believe in Jesus, but you also have to give money to the church. Or you need to pray five times a day. Or you need to, need to, need to. And that's not the Christian faith. The Christian faith is just come to Jesus. Because any of those other things that I just mentioned, we do out of gratitude and joy and cheerfulness. We don't do out of obligation. That's religion. Religion is out of obligation. He says, we do out of joy and what Jesus has done for us and removing that, that veil uh, from our hearts. Some of you guys, though, the dogs in your life aren't as external as they are internal. You've created your own dogs. It could be your sin, your perpetual sin, your constant sin, that, that sin that always trips you up. It could be a relationship like you just can't be humble in a relationship. It could be you can't just show mercy. You have to judge. And that's, that's hindering your faith. That's a dog in your heart that you need to look out for. It could be a spiritual discipline. If you're a, a believer, a follower of Jesus, and you've been one for a while, you may be getting tripped up by your own spiritual disciplines because when you aren't spending time with God regularly, it doesn't just make you miss God. It actually makes you feel guilty. And that guilt isn't, that isn't of, of God. God isn't there to, to make you feel guilty for not spending time with him. He wants you to. He's not there to force you to. So even your spiritual disciplines can become dogs in your life because you were taught you had to do this. And, and let me just 
talk about this for a second. I'll talk about a few spiritual disciplines. Um, let's just hit scripture reading and prayer. So scripture reading has become a chore for a lot of us because we've forgotten that God has spoken here and that this is the word of life. That God actually gives this to us for life. That when Jesus says man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, this is the word of God. And this is what we can live by. And, and, and it's not there to restrain us. It's actually there to free us and bring us life. And you've forgotten that along the way somehow. And so a lot of us, I don't know how you do Bible reading, but some of you guys just open up and say, all right, I'm going to read this, and it makes no sense to you. Um, of course, I open up to an Old Testament prophet, so it definitely makes no sense. We're like, what? Um, you know, or, or a lot of us are just stuck in the New Testament because it's so much easier to understand uh, for a lot of us. And we've forgotten just how to get life out of this spiritual discipline of, of reading and, and putting this into our hearts and, and in our minds. And so this should never be a chore for you. And for me, personally, I don't know how you guys are. Some of you guys are probably more disciplined where you can get up early in the morning and um, I have my, my mentor, he gets up at 5 a.m. every morning, reads his Bible for an hour, prays for an hour, works out for an hour, then hits the day running. <laughs> I would pray for 30 seconds and be like, <sighs> I'd be out. I mean, I'd open my Bible and, and read for a minute and I'd be asleep. I could sleep like sitting up like this. I did it this week. Um, as I was preparing for the sermon, I was just sitting there. <laughs> and I did like, I just fell asleep just sitting in at, at uh, my desk. And then I woke up and I was like, what just happened? That's, that's horrible. Like drool's all coming down. I'm like, um, so, uh, yeah, so I can't do that. I'm not that disciplined. Some of you guys may be struggling because someone told you, you have to get up early in the morning if you're going to get anything out of it. Um, I, I feel like that's probably one of the best times to do that uh, is early in the morning. So I still try to do it, but my time with God is actually very, I hate you use the word organic because that's like so overused today, but that's what it, it's, it's kind of like organic. <laughs> It happens intentionally at different times throughout the day. And I actually find for me that's better because it keeps me in this framework of mind that God is speaking to me throughout the whole day. So I begin my day like this. I wake up in the morning, and the first thing I say is, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. This is 1 Samuel 3. If you want to talk to me about why I say that later, you can talk to me. I'll walk you through that passage. This is what Samuel says. No magic phrase. It's just to gear myself and my heart, my mind, to put everything, I don't know about you guys, but when I wake up in the morning, I have a million things in my mind. So it put, puts those things out and I focus on, this is my God, my Lord, my Father, I'm your servant, your son. And then I sit in silence for at least two minutes. I tr uh, and that's hard. Two minutes is kind of hard. Um, and then, so I've been building up. And so it's always at least two to five. And then I just sit there and try to Listen, 
just being God's presence. It's not about actually hearing anything from God as much as just saying, I'm sitting here with the Father to begin my day. And I'm just going to be with God in his presence. And then, if I woke up in time, I'll read the Bible. Um, sometimes I don't wake up in time. <laughs> and that's where my undisciplined nature comes in. And so I'll fit it in later in the day. Um, so so that's, that's part of the day. And then Paul says this thing about praying without ceasing. You should pray without ceasing. And it's like, how do you do that? But think about this. You think without ceasing. So just redeem your thoughts. Just redeem your thoughts to, to God. And so I'll pray. I'll start my day with just praying. You know how we say amen? Like we'll say in Jesus' name, amen, at the end of, the, at the end of our prayers. I stop saying that, and I'll say it at the end of the day. So it's like a full, like I prayed the whole day, and I left everything, and I just lived a life of prayer that day. Does that make sense? So in my, in our, in my mind, when I say in Jesus' name, amen, it's like, oh, that's it. It's done. Um, I think it's like that trigger for us. Again, it's no magic phrase, right? We've made it that way. Um, but it's, it just gives me a lifestyle of prayer. And so that's just a couple ways to redeem your spiritual disciplines. Um, don't, let it, don't let it dog you. So Paul goes on and he says, he says, we are the circumcision. And he says, it's because we worship by the Spirit of God. It's not outward, it's, it's inward. The Spirit has done something in us. And we glory in Christ Jesus. It's, all, it's not about a religion. It's about glorying in this relationship. And he says, and we put no confidence in the flesh. It's not about me and what I've done and what I can do, but it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. And Paul says, just to be clear, if anyone can have confidence, I can. Because here's the thing. People will say, oh, well, you're a Christian or you believe this. Like they would say to Paul, you chose this uh, or you're, you're like this because you just had to be. You're, you're born into that. You, you, um, uh, you know, you weren't as successful as me. You're not as intelligent as I am. You're not whatever it is. Uh, but Paul makes it clear, like, he chose this because it was better and it was the truth, not because he had to. And he gives this list of four things on his, on his, um, that are hereditary and then three things that are of his own achievements. And he says, I have this confidence because I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, of Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. He's appealing to his education. Like, I'm, I'm more educated than all of you guys. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, he's, he's appealing to his passion and his zeal to, for, for God. He says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. And this morning, I'm not telling you to throw all those things away. I'm not telling you to throw your education away, to throw your family background away, to throw your heritage, your traditions, your... Like Paul isn't saying like we count them as lost, we throw them away. He says we allow Christ to shape those things for his glory and to redeem them for his glory. It's all about perspective. Take education, for instance. A lot of us are bound up in degrees and getting education because 
It puts us in a different level in the world above other people. And, and, and he's saying, count that as loss. Like, just, just, just uh, put it aside for Christ. Don't throw it away, but focus on Christ and, and watch him redeem that for his glory. So what do you need to count as loss this morning? What do we as a church need to count as loss? What do you personally need to say, God, I want to give this to you because I may have been doing it on my own accord. I may have been doing it on my own strength. And I don't want that anymore. I want to count as loss so that I can glory in Christ Jesus. So I can be in the Spirit so that you can work in me and you can show me how to influence our city and the world. There's this beautiful story at the end of the Gospels, at the end of the book of John, where Peter gets restored. And Peter, the apostle Peter, has just denied Jesus three times publicly. Um, he's, he's distraught. He's, he's confused. But Peter is a very overconfident guy. He's got confidence issues, but the overconfident way. But actually, you can see that it's a lack of confidence. I find when most people are overconfident, it's because of lack of confidence. Um, and, and Jesus restores him in this beautiful way by saying, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Tend my sheep. And, and they go through this three times. And then Peter's walking with Jesus along the shore. And Peter, like, picks it back up and he says... He looks back and he sees the Apostle John following him. And he's like, hey, Jesus, what about this guy? And I just picture Jesus grabbing Peter by the, by the cheeks here, by the chin, and just saying, what is it to you? And he actually says that. He's like, what is he to you? What is it to you? You follow me. And those are the words of, of Jesus to Peter. You just follow me. Count those things as lost, Peter, and just follow after me. Stop focusing on what somebody else is doing. Stop focusing on uh, being this or, or that, and just follow me. Beautiful thing is, the next book in the Bible, we see Peter following Jesus. We see Peter leading out uh, the apostles, the other disciples. And he preaches a sermon, and thousands of people come to Christ on that day through him just following Jesus. And so, whatever it is that you need to count as loss, you need to remember that any self-confidence you have is always going to lead to emptiness. In order to count things as loss, you need to have this Christ confidence that Paul is talking about in order to lead you into wholeness and fullness. That's the reward of Christ. A wholeness and a fullness that can only come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your words of truth, for your words of life, for your words of just 
joy and fullness. Just reveal to us what we need to count as loss. Through this passage, you worked so beautifully in my heart this week to show me what was hindering, something that was hindering me, and you showed me how to count it as loss. And all I experienced was freedom. And so if we're asking the question, why? Why do I need to count that as loss? Father, I pray that you'd show us that the answer is freedom. And it's for the sake of Christ. Because he gave everything for us. So we just thank you for that now. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen.